from the NFL. We know the Browns have talent, but I'm not sold on this rookie head coach. To the NBA. Kawhi Leonard has added his name as one of the best players in basketball. Across the landscape of college football. The Pac-12 got how many teams in the top 25? And so much more. Boxing needs a Dana White. It has too many chefs in the kitchen. The stories you want. The Zeke Elliott holdout could be coming to a close. The opinions you need. LeBron is coming back with revenge on his mind. The king is back. It's Jay Wise. I keep telling y'all my last name is no joke. And Nathan Drinkard. If they don't win this game, it's a wrap. Stick a fork in them. They're done. This is A Drink of Wisdom. Welcome to A Drink of Wisdom with Jay Wise and Nathan Drinkard. I'm your host, Cody Ward. Thanks for spending some of your time with us tonight. What's going on, fellas? What's going on, man? What's going on, Cody? What we got? Oh, man, I'm so glad you asked. In episode 25, it's pre-Black Friday in the NFL. Kyrie's all in his feelings. And we preview the rivalry games that matter the most in college football this weekend. But first, we begin by covering some Turkey Day NFL action, headlined by the Buffalo Bills putting away the Cowboys 26-15. to In a game with playoff implications for both teams, the Cowboys jumped to a 7-0 lead, but then surrendered 26 unanswered points to Josh Allen and the Red Hot Bills. Buffalo was able to capitalize on some Cowboys turnovers and mistakes while pulling out a few trick plays and even getting a near-career day from wide receiver Cole Beasley. The Bills improved to 9-3 with a virtual lock on the AFC wildcard board. Meanwhile, the Cowboys have dropped three of their last four and still have not beat a team with a winning record. So what did you think of the game, Jay? Were you more impressed by the Bills or more disappointed by the Cowboys? You guys know I'm not. I'm, I'm not impressed with the Buffalo Bills. They're 9-3. I get it. They're to be respected. They're not a bad team. It would be foolish for me to sit here and say they're bad. But I don't, particular, I don't think they're all that uh, – I don't think they're particularly good. This is about the Dallas Cowboys. The Buffalo Bills coming in this game, they could afford they could afford to lose that game. They're not winning the AFC East. But even if they lost this game, they would still be a, at least they they still be one game up in the AFC playoff picture over any other wild card challenger. The Dallas Cowboys, meanwhile, we know their situation. We covered it a bit Wednesday. If there was ever a time for some sense of urgency, the Dallas Cowboys, it would be this Thanksgiving Day or yesterday Thanksgiving against the Bills after what happened Sunday afternoon against the New England Patriots. Jerry Jones has been very critical of the coaching and of his team coming into this game, and they did not respond. It almost seemed as if after a great start, I might add, nine plays, 75 yards to start the game, Jason Witten finding his way into the end zone. After that, it felt like the Dallas Cowboys did not seem to care in their performance. I'm not, so, I'm not talking about, I'm not looking at body language. I'm not talking about how they looked. I'm just talking about their performance. The way they performed, it didn't, it appeared to me, their performance said, and to me told Jerry Jones, you know what? We don't care if you fire Jason Garrett. He can go. It's okay. We'll be, we don't, we don't know. We don't know what we're doing. That's the way, that's what I took away from the Dallas Cowboys because in the middle of that game, after their first drive, they looked they looked awful, both sides of the ball. We got the defense out there, Jalen Smith, Demarcus Lawrence. These are a couple guys that have already got their money. We know Byron Jones is seeking to get his money. There's there's some other guys on that defense. It's still a talented defense, even even without the presence of Leighton Vander Esch. And they allowed the Buffalo Bills to do pretty much whatever they wanted to do. 
whether it was Devin Singletary running the ball, whether it was Josh Josh Allen throwing passes anywhere he wanted to. I believe he only threw one, one incompletion in the second half. Whether it was Josh Allen fumbling the snap and then picking it up and just lunging forward for a first down. You look at the replay and Jalen Smith seems to be just standing there, just in awe. Oh, man, he can do that. Wow. It just, it was not an impressive performance. Including that they, they, they seemed ill-prepared for the trick play that John Brown laid on them for a touchdown to Devin Singletary through the air. Cowboys defense, I got to believe they're better than that. They are more talented than that, to what they showed. And it's the same way as the off, and it's the same thing for the Dallas Cowboy offense. I get the Buffalo Bills defense. They're to be respected. That's what Sean McDermott, the head coach of the Bills, he hangs his hat on the defensive side. And they're to be respected. They got some really good players on that side of the ball, particularly when you look at a guy like Tredavious White, who's more than capable of shutting down one side of the field. Very good corner that they have. But the Dallas Cowboys coming in, I believe they were the number one ranked offense. Dak Prescott doing his thing, leading NFL in passing yards up to that point, I believe. You got Ezekiel Elliott, highest paid running back in the league. We know what he brings to the table. Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, Randall Cobb, these were your weapons. We know how good they are. And your offensive line. Outside of your left guard, Connor Williams, I don't think he's all that impressive. But those other guys, Tyron Smith, Frederick Martin, Lyle Collins, all these guys have been paid. All of them have our respect. And yet the Dallas Cowboys, after their first drive, all the way up to the four-minute mark of the fourth quarter, they were missing in action offensively. A lot of this can be predi- A lot of this we can look to Dak Prescott's performance because he was not all that great. The numbers at the end of the day tell you he did some stuff. 355 yards, 32 for 49, ended up with two touchdowns. But the most impressive thing I thought about Dak Prescott, and this is something that we've, I've grown to deeply respect about him, is his effort. When he runs the football, he, he has no thought in many situations of sliding. There were first downs that he was trying to convert in that game from time to time. And he was given, and he was giving these Bills defenders the business. He was lowering his shoulder, going head first, no thought to his body. And that, that's something that he might want to think about considering we know his contract situation and he has yet to be paid. So that's something we got to take a look at. But in terms of throwing the football and being accurate, it was not an impressive day for Dak Prescott, particularly when you look at the screen pass that was picked off by Star Latulier. It was not there. It was one you just have to throw in the dirt. And he throws it right to Star Latulier in one of the most hideous interceptions we've seen, we've seen this season. Then there was a fourth down play late in the game, fourth and goal from the six-yard line. This situation, Jason Garrett was criticized for not going for it last week. Similar situation. I thought at the time, I thought he should have kicked the field goal last week. I thought he should have kicked the field goal this week. In this instance, the score was 23-7. to Yes, it was a two-possession game. So, yes, if you, make, if you convert the fourth down, you got – if you convert the fourth down, you still got to have a situation where you need a two-point conversion, and then you need another touchdown, another two-point conversion. So the likelihood of all that, I just didn't see it happening. I would have taken the field goal, make it, made it an actual two-touchdown game. Jason Garrett thought the better opportunity would be, would be to go for the fourth down, and Dak Prescott skips the ball on a swing pass to Ezekiel Elliott. We don't know if Zeke would have been able to score, but we know certainly you got no chance if the ball – 
hits the ground before it gets to your receiver. The Dallas Cowboys, in a lot of ways, I think they embarrass themselves. The Cowboys come into this game 6-5, and five, one game lead on the Philadelphia Eagles, and we already talked about this. The Dallas Cowboys schedule, it's nothing, there's no world beaters remaining on their schedule, but it's way tougher than what the Eagles have to have, to have up upon what the Eagles have coming up for them. The Eagles have the Dolphins coming up this week. So we can pretty much book that this division is going to be tied headed into the final four weeks of the season. The Eagles will also have the Giants twice, and they'll have the Redskins, and they'll also have the Cowboys week 16 of this season at Lincoln Financial Field in what could decide this division. This was a game the Cowboys needed. In all likelihood, as I just said, this division is going to be tied as we head to the final four weeks of the season. And the Cowboys, to me, they didn't play with a sense of urgency. They did nothing to salvage the job of their head coach, who has been much embattled, even though Jerry Jones came out immediately after the game and said, we're not making a change, which I thought was highly, I thought was a little strange considering how critical he was of Jason Garrett during the week. And then you have your team come out there and look that bad. The Bills run 26 straight points on them in the middle of that game before Dallas gets a late touchdown. And it couldn't have been more if we take into consideration Stephen Hauska. We don't know what he's doing out there missing field goals the way he is. Needed the right post to make one of his field goals. But, yes, this was more about the Cowboys to me and how awful they were. Uh, <clears throat> well, hey, let me tell you something. I, I said this last show, the Cowboys done. The Eagles going to win the division, and the Cowboys going to, if they make the playoffs, they're barely going to make the playoffs. And they lived up to it. So I wasn't disappointed in the Cowboys. They did exactly what I thought they was going to do. Let me tell you something. I'm impressed with the Bills. Here's the deal. No one, and I mean no one, said anything about the Bills coming into this game other than the fact that they got a good defense. Everybody said the Cowboys was the better team. All the drama was based around the Cowboys, their head coaching situation, what the owner was saying, how the offense played, how deep it. And they pretty much, the Bills ran under the radar. Other than the fact that they was playing on Thanksgiving, people did not have a lot to say about the Bills. And then what did the Bills do behind what I, what I, I call them the coach of the year? Some, brought in some of that good hot coaching on down to the old billion dollar playpen. Jerry Jones sitting there looking nice and comfortable. Cut up the seat warmers for me, and then he saw, he looked at pretty dang pretty dang on this scrunnel. By the time the third quarter came around, he told him, "Hey, I don't even want the glasses no more. I need the shades. This is ridiculous." So, look, the Bills was impressive because what I learned from the Bills going against the Cowboys was this: a lot of the games that the Bills have lost, let's be real, either Josh Allen was hurt or just he just didn't play well. He just wasn't. He was non-existent. If I can get what Josh Allen gave them on a consistent basis, this team with their defense will be able to beat other better teams. I I got it. You look at their schedule. Their schedule is not as impressive as some. I got that. It is what it is. But when they do play upper echelon teams, remember this. They the Patriots. They was playing the Patriots tough, and then Josh Allen got the old boomerang. The rock, the rock'em sock'em, and he was out of the game. And the backup came in, and I understand he didn't play the worst, but I have to believe that team 
could have did something more to close that game out had they had they start they are starting quarterback. Josh Allen is to me, he's starting to step it up as the season goes. He know he got a good offensive line. He's starting to use that offensive line for what it is good for. Singletary seems to be getting in the second gear himself. He ran the ball well. And Frank Gore, you know, he's he's just the the running the running legend out there. You know, he's just gonna keep running until, you know, his bones give out and then that's gonna be the end of that. That defense let let me let me let me wind up because I want I wanna talk about something. Because this was a very big story in the Dallas Cowboys last game. We talked about how Amari Cooper was pretty much in witness protection, didn't do much, uh, stayed on the sideline for most of the game. Well, that was a good excuse for that game to say maybe Dak didn't get enough help from his wide receivers. I thought in this game he got some help. It just he made he the Cowboys offense. They just made crazy mistakes at crazy times. I mean, I don't, I, I can't even. It wasn't like the New England game where, hey, man, we can't get the punt situation right or the kickoff situation right. That that was like the coaching thing here. That wasn't the situation. Cooper had eight catches for 85 yards. Okay. He didn't have a touchdown. It wasn't but adverse weather either. No, no adverse. playing in the dome. So we didn't worry about no wind, no rain, no – this situation is supposed to benefit you. All right. If you look at the – if you look at the, the stats, the situation – did benefit them, I thought, on the offense side. Once again, I would say they they shot themselves in the foot in situations that they, you know, that with with the interception. He had two formers. He lost one. He gained one. He looked at all the sorts. He didn't look as engaged as one would think. But at this point of the season, I thought the Cowboys look how they're going to look for the rest of the season, to be perfectly honest with you. This is not, though, let's pick ourselves up, boys, and finish the season strong. Nah, I'm gonna tell you where they messed that up at. When they decided not to re- when they decided not to renegotiate Dak's Frank uh, contract and Amari Cooper's contract. So now, right now, you got this thing going right because everybody say you signed Zeke because that's your best player, right? But then you turn around and say, well, we lost the game because of Dak. So I mean. Now that kind of like, huh? It ain't going to be on me. If we lose, we're just going to fire the coach, and then we're going to keep this boat rolling. Amari Cooper kind of like, huh? I'm on my last contract. If they don't sign me, somebody will. So let's just see. And just like Jay said, your team just look like they're just lacking energy. They're just lacking the want to. They don't care. I mean, whatever. Y'all want to keep making this about the coach? Keep making it about the coach. We're just going to go out here and just do what we do. Keep making it about him. Keep making it about the owner. Because at the end of the day, the players are the ones that go on the field. So we're going to make it about everything but what it's really about. Buffalo said, I want it all. Hey, we'll we'll come to Dallas and do it. Hey, hey y'all ready to lock up a playoff spot in the AFC? Let's go ahead and go down here and do it. And, and that's what they did because they don't got all that drama. They're just about football. That's good coaching down there. Them players that want to be there. You can say what you want to about the Bills. But th- – that team look like they want to be there, and they play like they want to be there, and that's what happened. So to answer your question, what I seen, I was I was damn impressed by the Bills. I wasn't just impressed. I was extra impressed just because I got to see Josh Allen take a step, and I'm telling you, if they keep getting that production or even more out of Josh Allen, 
this team will be very hard to beat. Yeah, a couple couple points to uh, just caveat some of the things you said. Uh, first of all, Josh Allen, I think that was his best performance of the season. I think he was accurate. His decision-making was spot on. And I think when he's at his best is when he's out scrambling because for whatever reason, uh, defenders have a really hard time with him once he gets on the move. It's almost like they don't expect him to be that athletic. There was one There was one instance where I believe it was a Cowboys safety, it might have been Xavier Woods, who had a chance to bring him down and just ran up to him and then was all like, oh, man, this dude's faster than I thought. And he just, Josh Allen just got around him. And so that's point number one. Uh, point number two, I just want to give you this on the Bills. And, again, the Bills, look, it's not their fault that the teams on their schedule predominantly are not that good. But I just want to offer this up. These are their wins this season. The Jets, the Giants, the Bengals, the Titans, the Dolphins, Redskins, Dolphins again, Broncos, and now the Cowboys. So their best win this season against, is against the Cowboys and, I guess, against the Titans. So they got one win against a team above 500 even though I think the Titans will take care of that and lose to the Colts, and then they'll be back at 500 themselves. So the combined record of the teams they have beat is 25-64. and 64. So I think we've got to pay attention to that somewhat, even though you are right. When they did pay the Patriots, they were very competitive in that game, although i got to believe the Patriot offense is going to get moving eventually. We talked about that a little bit last week in the, uh, after the Cowboys-Patriots game. And I think that will that will be the difference ultimately. The Cowboys or the Patriots offense rather will be able to do more against the Bills defense than the Bills offense will be able to do against the Patriots. Uh, back to a couple more notes to the Cowboys. Another thing, one more thing that was highly embarrassing: the Cowboys defense. You got Cole Beasley, a guy who the Cowboys elected not to re-sign. He goes off in the Buffalo, where some might surmise that. He would just fade away because we know when it gets when it gets windy, when it gets in the wintertime, it gets a little bit difficult to throw the football up there from time to time. This guy comes into Dallas yesterday, looked like he owned the place. Six catches, a buck ten, and a touchdown, two yards shy of his career high, first 100-yard game of the season against Dallas? Come on, man. Come on, Jordan Lewis and whoever else was in the secondary trying to cover this guy. One more thing on the Cowboys, and I, I still don't understand this, and it's even more it's even more strange when you consider the Cowboys paid Zeke. They did not pay Dak. They have not paid Amari Cooper. And, again, the Bills eventually, they got out to a big lead, but this game was competitive for quite a bit. So how is it that Zeke got 12 carries and Dak threw the ball 49 times? How are you that out of balance, especially when you consider Zeke got 71 yards on those 12 carries, almost six yards a clip? It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I keep going back to these teams. I'm talking about the Rams. I'm talking about the Cowboys. Why do these teams max out these running backs to contracts we ain't never seen and then not use them? I don't get it. I don't get it. Yeah, I think y'all really kind of hit the nail on the head. It really seems like a tale of two teams in two different directions. And, you know, professional football, you don't, you're not going to see teams quite be so emotional or quit. We use those terms sometimes, but like, you guys are professionals in the day. They're making the money. But, 
you can see the, the signs of teams that do believe in the teams that kind of don't. The Cowboys seem like a collection of talented individuals that are just kind of there. They're going through the motion. I think Drink was absolutely right. They're, they're talented. They can put it together some weeks. But they're just going through the motions because I don't think they care about Jason Garrett. If, if he, you know, disappeared tomorrow, they'd be like, oh, that, that's, you know, okay. Um, and I, I think that that sign, this game was that sign. But the Bills, man, they, they got a little bit of belief there. And the Bills have always kind of been that team that is scrappy. They're, they have that constant underdog mentality. They're always stuffed in the, in the meat locker of, you know, the AFC East with the rest of those dudes, you know, the Patriots personal, uh, freezer. And, uh, you know, but yet they always have these teams that come up, you know, in 2017, they made the playoffs. And now they're kind of, they're maybe back there. Uh, and it, you know, it does start with Josh Allen. Now, again, you know, like you said, he's not playing the best competition but Josh Allen has improved this season uh he's improved his completion percentage he's improved his uh, he's at 12 games now so we're looking at exactly uh 12 games per um because he didn't start every game last season but he's improved across the board and I think they'll go as far as he can take them I think y'all are right about that I think they'll go as far as he can take them but uh as long as that defensive line can kind of control and the defense can kind of control the pace of the game, and the offensive line still plays well, and they keep him protected. They're in the better half of the league in sacks. Hey, man, the Bills are going to be a team that I don't think they're they're that you know it's kind of a cliche, but I think they're one of them teams you, you don't want to see in the playoffs. I know we we say that we're like oh yeah really, but who wants to see you in the playoffs? But you know do you 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 want to see the Bills in the playoffs? I I, I don't I, I don't know if I want to play a team like that. Yeah. Okay, and that, I'm glad you brought that up because this is why, look, the Bills going to make the playoffs. It's a given at this point. Who are they beating in the playoffs? Are they beating the Texans? Are they beating the Patriots, Chiefs, or Ravens? They can They could beat the Texans. Not Texans, yeah. They could beat the Texans. Don't, don't give me that smoke like the Texans is unbeatable. They're not, no, and that would be the one team they'd have a shot against. The two, but at the, the end of the day, it just come, for me, it just comes down to I'll take Deshaun Watson over Josh Allen. Yeah, but check this out. I ain't worried about it. They defense, I, and I'll take the Bills defense over the Texans. But here's the thing. Look, it's only two teams for sure in the AFC that I'll for sure say, if I'm the Bills, I don't want no. The Patriots, because they play the Patriots so much, the Patriots just know how to beat them. When you play each other so many times, you just get a, a blueprint, and it kind of just go over and over and over. And And the Ravens, just off the pure talent standpoint, they will have a problem with the Ravens. But those other uh, other three teams that's going to make the playoffs, you, yeah, you damn right give them a chance to beat those teams. I sure do. I surely do. Well, we'll, also, we'll also get to see them play the Ravens and the Patriots before the playoffs. So I think we're going to get a little bit more of a temperature check on the Bills. And the last thought for the Cowboys, man, like you guys said, they have to win this division. They're not getting in the NFC wildcard picture with the Seahawks 9-2 and and the Vikings at 8-3. and you're either going to win your division or you're going home to your couch for the playoffs. So the Cowboys, with four games left, they really got to put it together in a hurry. All right, guys, let's go ahead and stay in the NFL on this Black Friday. While shoppers sweat it out for flat-screen TVs, many NFL coaches are sweating it out for a different reason, a very hot seat. Now that we're basically into December, several coaches appear to be coaching for their jobs down the stretch. Uh, we have a few obvious candidates, such as Jason Garrett. We've already, you know, kind of tossed him in the microwave recently. So, uh... Who are some other coaches around the league that you guys, you know, maybe think that uh, could be dusting off their resume come Black Monday? And uh, we can start with you, Drink. All right. Doug Marone, get the resume ready. You're done. Uh, Dan Quinn, let's get that resume ready. 
you're, you're most likely you done. Um, we hit on Jason Garrett. He, he already got the resume ready because he know he's done. And, and then the one guy that we got in the question mark, um, Freddie Kitchens. Um, Freddie Kitchens, he, he's on the fence right now. Some people think he should be done. Some people don't, you know, they say, let's see how the season fell. Um, but that's the, no, th- those are my candidates for sure. Doug Marone, let me tell you something, man. That wasn't, look, you deserve to get fired first and foremost, just on a simple principle that you let one player score two touchdowns in like 20 seconds or, or like two minutes or some bull crap that you pull. Just that alone is just downright embarrassing. You cannot tell me, just like we was talking about Jason Garrett, that this team want to play for him when they pull some crap like that. And that ain't a talent thing. That is not a talent thing. It's not, oh, where they wore the team down to the fourth quarter and then they broke it loose. No. The dude literally touched the ball, scored, turnover, whatever, touched the ball again, scored again. Like, the defense didn't even know he was on the team. You're out of here, Duck. You're out of here. And you know what? Karma is, karma is a, is a, you know, explicit because you left Buffalo for no reason when you had a good winning situation in Buffalo and you decided to come out here to Jacksonville because you didn't, I guess you didn't get along with ownership or whatever. Well, ain't this about some smoke? Cause, uh, that was, uh, I believe that was ownership turnover was going on there, I believe. Okay. So, you know, you left. Doug McDermott came in. I mean, Sean McDermott, I'm sorry. Sean McDermott came in, and, well, you know, the, the, the rest is history now. The rest is history. So, yeah, yeah. I'll get, and, but I'm, I'm going to let, you know, our third party get, you know, really get into Doug Marone. I just want him to know to get a resume ready. Um, Dan Quinn, hey, get the resume ready. You're out of here. All right? Now, I, that one thing Dan Quinn could say, oh, we got to the Super Bowl, baby. We was up on the Patriots, man. Come on. And then at that moment, you knew it was over. All right. You got up on the Patriots. You lost the game. And you knew Kyle Shanahan was out of there. The minute you seen Kyle Shanahan out the door, I'm pretty sure you seen your career follow him by outside the door. And then someone else probably came in and dropped a hint on you and told you to get the resume ready. And you was like, no, I could turn this around. When you know you got the development skill of a quarterback, you, you just, it's non-existent. You ain't developing no quarterback there, Dan Quinn. So you knew what time it was. You should have just went on and did what you had to do. But, and <clears throat> one guy I do want to talk about that I don't think he need to get his resume ready, but that his name is floating around is uh, Ron Rivera. Like, I know a lot of people, first of all, Ron Rivera is one of the elder statesmen when it comes to being the head coach of one team in the NFL right now. He's been with the Panthers for, this is ninth season, so he's been there for a while. That lets you know the ownership, even though they had new ownership, still between the old ownership and the ownership they have now, they like Ron Rivera. They like Ron Rivera for a reason. And I'll tell you this, he lost his franchise quarterback or what proceeds to still be his franchise quarterback. When you when that happens, most owners would not hold that against you if your season does not come out to be what you thought it was going to be. I mean, but then you got to give him credit. He brought in a young gun off the bench. They won some games. The defense did their thing. You got to give Ron Rivera credit for that because that season could have been dead and in the water at the minute Cam Newton decided to hang it up for foot surgery. And we and all we would have said as 
mediocre fans, we would have said, well, Cam Newton got hurt. That's probably the reason the season turned out like this, whatever, whatever. But he still won some games. And then we got the we got to see Christian McCaffrey go up to the next level. You got to give him credit for that because of the injury. He was smart enough to say, let me use my running back because you know a lot of teams can't do that nowadays. You know what I'm saying? This, this is about to be the old pastime like baseball there. Give it to my running back and let him take my team to the next level. And that's what exactly what he did. They showed some promise. This team is not dead in the water. They won't make it to the playoffs this year. But when I say dead in the water, I'm, I'm speaking as, as far as the future go. We'll see how they try to figure out that, that quarterback room, if they bring Cam Newton back. But I, I just wanted to throw that out there that that was a guy I've been hearing a lot of stuff about him actually getting his resume ready, and I, I will pump the brakes on that. I don't think he needs to. I think he has gotten enough cachet where something like what happened to him this season not going to affect him. But, yeah, Dan Quinn, Doug Moreau, uh, Freddie Kitchens in my book, and Jason Garrett, you out of here. Get that resume ready. Yeah, one note on uh, Rod Rivera, who I think I don't think he should lose his job. I think his uh, career record and the fact that he's been to a Super Bowl, I think it's pretty impressive when you compare him to some of his contemporaries. And, yes, uh, Cam Newton being out and being unhealthy this season, I think that has played a role. Even when he was healthy the first couple games of the year, he was not himself. And so I think ownership should take into consideration. However, it is. however, we do have to pay attention to the fact that it is predominantly new ownership. So we'll see if they want to continue to let Ron Rivera run the team. And you brought up Christian McCaffrey and how they have utilized him this year. Don't worry about it. I'm sure when they lock him up to a mega deal extension, that's when they'll start not using him. And we'll be revisiting this this topic just like we have with uh, Todd Gurley and Zeke Elliott. Hey, and and to that point, I, I can't argue with that. The NFL has shown that's the blueprint, so you're right. I'm going to leave that right at where it's at right there. But, of course, uh, you're right. we're right about Jason Garrett. This man been dragged through the mud so much. That that dead horse is on his ninth life in cat, in cat terms. We don't, need to, we don't need to continue to pile on this man. Uh, Doug Marone, you guys are absolutely right, and we're going to let we're going to let Cody <laughs> predominantly handle that. I do want to say one thing about the Jaguars, and this extends uh, this extends beyond Doug Marone. Uh, you think about the talent on this defense. If I could, if I could tell you, I could give you Calais Campbell, Josh Allen, and Yannick Ngakwe, and AJ Boye. There's, there's a lot. There's still a lot of good pieces on this defense. And you gave them Todd Wash and some of his schemes and soft zone coverages and some of the stuff he does out there. They, they can't stop the run no more. You talk about Derrick Henry just hand off 80 yards, hand off 70 yards, or however many yards it was. Just ridiculous. That happens like once a year against them, courtesy of the Tennessee Titans. So you, we're talking about head coaches predominantly. Todd Wash should forget about it. He need to go do something else. I don't think – I don't think. Um, and he had the nerve – to come out, uh, we might have been last week and say, you know what? I don't think the fans really understand some of the schemes and the things that we're doing and not doing. Like, the, okay, Todd Wash, get out of here. Go st- throw your resume in the trash because we don't need it no more. But listen, Dan Quinn, Dan Quinn, listen, drink hit on it. You went to the Super Bowl, you built a 25 point lead, and we, we ain't heard much from you since. So I, I want to zone in on a guy who is not in danger of losing his job this year. But I think we got to look at Bill O'Brien, some of the 
He's also acting as general manager at this time because the Texans made the decision not to bring one in. So we got to take into consideration and also judge him on the job he's doing from a personnel standpoint. I'm still not getting over the fact that he traded uh, Jadavion Clowney for two things of fruit snacks. I'm not going to let that go. And I think it could cost them come playoff time, especially when you consider J.J. Watt is also injured and not on the team right now. They got Deshaun Watson. They got a generational talent at the quarterback position. But, listen, Bill O'Brien needs to win. He needs to win soon. At least, at least next season, you need to be winning something more than the AFC South. Because we've seen, we've seen this story before. You finally had your, le- your first double-digit winning season last season. You're in your sixth year. You got one playoff win, courtesy of the Connor Cook Oakland Raiders. So you're going to have to show me something at some point. We need more from you. Uh, I'm looking at a guy that we haven't spoken of, and I know he's only in his second season. But I'm going to tell you, out of all the head coaches in the National Football League, I just look at guys that I, I just look at them from time to time and I say, would I want to play for that guy? And I look at guys, you look at them and how they speak, how they interact with the media, and I just look at Pat Shermer for the New York Giants. This is about to be the most vanilla ice cream basic dude I've ever seen, and I don't know how this guy gets away with this, and I don't know how he's gotten his second head coach head coaching job, especially in New York City for the New York football giants. What, show me something that he's done in his career besides coach the Browns for two years and have, what is this, a 17-43 and 43 record in totality now. This guy's 2-9 and nine this season. You remember early on, it was, it felt like it's been months now that we was, oh, yeah, Danny Dimes coming in and leading that spirited comeback against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We, we, we like to gloss over the fact that the Bucs couldn't kick a field goal late in that game, which would have shut that nonsense up. But what have they done since then? They lost seven straight games, so they was two and two. Now they're two and nine. Pat Sherman's now seven and twenty in two seasons with the New York Giants. This is what you're gonna get from Pat Sherman. You're gonna flop around, and the best you're gonna be able to do is maybe five wins, maybe six tops. That's all you're gonna get from Pat Sherman. There is nothing about this man that speaks to inspiration, that speaks to motivation, at least from the standpoint when I'm looking at him. I don't I can't speak for those guys in the locker room. I may be totally off base, but I'm just talking about when I look at a guy on the sideline, when I look at how he interacts in the media in the post game, I just don't see it. I, I don't – and Pat Sherman, he may not be in danger of losing his job. He's only been there two years. But that's a guy I would get out of there, and I would get somebody else better for the franchise. No, <clears throat> no my, my only caveat to that is, are we not going to put in he, – he played majority of the year without his, start, his first round starting tight end. He played majority of the year without his – what was perceived to be his number one wide receiver, Sterling Shepard, but I guess Golden Tate would be the number one receiver, depending on how you're looking at it or whatever. He also played time without Golden Tate as well. San Juan Barkley got hurt for a few weeks. The offensive line still leaking like Hurricane Marina that came through. Like, he, he, like, he traded away some pieces. I think that franchise dealt with a lot. Do you think that's going to play a role in this, this firm? Because I think that's going to keep that's a and that's a fair point. However, what I would say to you is, I think that's more of an excuse that Daniel Jones should be able to rely upon as a rookie, as a, as a as a coach. I need to look at you and say, hey, we understand, and that's a lot of personnel that's been edited out of the lineup. But hey, you have to draw up something and show me something. You, Pat Sherman's an offensive mind. He got the job based on his work that he did in Minnesota with Case Keenum. So you got 
Look, Daniel Jones coming up in here, first round pick, sixth overall. Ain't nobody nobody ever drafted Case Keenum. He couldn't he probably can't even get drafted in a fantasy league. So look, listen, Pat Shermer, you give him a number one first round draft pick at the quarterback position. You can give me all this stuff you want to about some of his weapons not being there. Scheme something up. Show me something from the play calling perspective. I, uh, before I get to Doug Marone, I, 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 you know, while we're on the Pat Shermer topic, the Giants' other problem is their defense is really bad. So, in addition to not really having all their offensive pieces in and out, I don't think they have a lot of talent on defense. So, they give up a lot of points. And I don't, I, he, I, I, either way, I could see him getting fired or staying around. But I do agree, Jay. He's about vanilla and boring. I don't know how to do with that kind of personality coaches in a place like New York. Uh, I think Dan Quinn's another obvious candidate to get out of town, man. What, what have you done for me lately? Um, and the only other team I would add there is Matt Patricia. He kind of strikes me as a guy like Pat Shermer. I, I don't know. I, just, I don't know what, what has he done. Like, I, all the Lions have done is just screw around 9 18 and 1. Uh, they were 2 2 2 0 and 1 to start the season, and then they've just blown it ever since. I, I don't know. I've, since Matt Patricia's been there, he's looked confused, he's looked behind. It just looks like another Bill Belichick off the tree apple that didn't fall very far. and Hadn't really done anything, but we tell you a little bit about um, old Doug Marone here. Uh, tell us something. I, I'll tell you something about Doug Marone. The thing with the, the reason I believe the, ja- the Jaguars are going to can Doug Marone is not just because Doug Marone has failed the team on the field. The organization has failed off the field, and I think that a full sweep is coming. It's not going to just be Doug Marone. I think everyone from Tom Coughlin, old president whatever hat he happens to wear when he walks around scowling at people in the office all day, which is, I think that's all he actually does. But uh, I, I think they're going to about to sweep top to bottom. They came into this season on, on off a of mulligan. Okay, 2018 was the mulligan year. Okay, when we remember 2017, we remember the AFC and that silly run they made with the defense, da-da-da, Blake Bortles, whatever. Uh, and we can't get on Doug Marone for giving $111 million to Miles Jack and Blake Bortles. You, you can't – it's not his decision, right? You know, so – they came into the season with a mulligan. He had an $88 million quarterback. His running back had, you know, a come-to-earth, come-to-Jesus meeting, whatever you want to call it, completely turned himself around, was ready to go. They got to 4-4 four and four with a rookie six-round unproven quarterback when Nick Foles went down. They got to 4-4. Four and four. They were going to London to play the Texans in the start of a three-game road stretch against divisional opponents, and they got destroyed. They got outscored 101 to 36 in three games where they were within six points of at halftime. They were outscored in those third quarters 52 to 8, including the aforementioned uh, two touchdowns in 16 seconds from Derrick Henry. Uh, all three teams in those blowouts were 200 or more rushing yards. They were littered with penalties, mistakes. The Jaguars are third worst in league in penalties this year. They were second last year, so not much improvement going on there. There's little to no accountability with the players. We had fights last year, all sorts of uh, stuff like that. And every time Doug Murray would just come out and say, oh, well, you know, we'll just go ahead and figure it out and whatever. And uh, I don't think Doug Murray is a terrible coach from a X's and O's point of view, but I don't know if he knows how to get good coordinators around him because – the guys he has aren't really cutting it. John Filippo, I'm not going to criticize him too much. He was brought in specifically for Nick Foles and nothing else. So I, I can't really get on him much for that because he didn't have him. He had to work with Gardner Minshew for a while, and now everything's kind of falling off the tracks. But Todd Wash, I don't know why he's still on this tread. He is a retread from the Gus Bradley era. He uses the dusty old Legion of Boom playbooks that are so outdated that they're using them in history classes around the country because they're they're from the, probably from the 80s or something. I don't even know how it's possible, but they are – 
this this defense has been figured out. They don't have the personnel for it. Uh, and this season, guys, they have one win against a 500-plus team. That's the Titans, who also stomped them. You know, and, and to, to the more zoomed-out perspective, we're talking about the 11th losing season for the Jaguars in 12 years. Doug Marone, in his last 23 games, he is 6-17. and 17. And again, not all this is his fault. Uh, eight years ago today, the Jaguars actually were sold to the new owner, Shad Khan. They are 36 and 87 under the new ownership, and they are about to be, um, they're on their third head coach right now and about to be on their fourth. So I think top to bottom, the fans are sick of it. They're done with them in Jacksonville, and we are about to see, I think, a top down, everyone get your stuff and get out, clean out of the Jaguars, because I do agree, like you said, Jay, there is too much talent on that team to be four and seven and to be missing the playoffs once again. Yeah, and one more, and one more note on the Jaguars. Me and Drake discussed this a little bit back when the Jalen Ramsey trade talks really started picking up. And one of the things we talked about was we looked at Doug Marone and we just noticed some of the things going on in the sideline. You notice that players are too focused on the wrong things. They're getting into the, the skirmishes. They're getting into fights. They, I don't know, they throwing stuff at fans, whatever, just whatever shenanigans you would have. And it just felt like Doug Marone did not have control of the team and just didn't – he's just not getting through to them for whatever reason. And it's no, it's that, lack of discipline. He's never disciplined the team. You remember back in uh, 2018, they went and got in a fight before the London game. There was no discipline. They swept it under the rug. Leonard Fournette fought somebody last year. He ran down the field, I think, to fight Shaq Lawson during the Buffalo game. And they asked him after the game, would there be any suspensions or punishments? And he said, no, let the NFL handle it. And they said, well, Leonard Fournette's a captain. Are you going to do anything about that? Well, you know, that the players are captains. They vote on that. I'm not going to get – hey, man, how about being a coach at some point? How about at some point showing up and saying, hey, no, we're going to – there's going to be consequences. And at no point in time in the Doug Marone era was there ever any consequences for anything that happened. Which I find that crazy because you have Tom Coughlin as the president, and that's the type of stuff that he was known for dropping the hammer, having supreme discipline, do your job type of attitude. And then you got Dub Marone is like, yeah, 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 I show up when I show up. Yeah, and they coached together back in the day. I mean, Tom Doug Marone is a disciple of Tom Coughlin. I think back in Syracuse or some point in time, they've had, you know, they've been under each other for coaching. So, yeah, Doug Marone thinks just like him, acts just like him. He's a little mini-me of him. So I think when you get rid of him, you got to get rid of Coughlin, too, because the next coach ain't going to put up with that. He ain't going to want Tom Coughlin looking over his shoulder and scowling at him. And uh, I think that's another reason you're about to see the whole thing just uh, washed out, if, if I will. All right, guys, we now turn over to the NBA, and our favorite grass isn't always greener player. <laughs> that, of course, be Nets point guard Kyrie Irving. About an hour after the Nets fell to the Celtics on Wednesday, Irving, who wasn't with the team that night, posted a long and fairly cryptic Instagram post. In it, he called out sports entertainment as, quote, ignorant and obtrusive, and he kind of seemed to be alluding to basketball being second to life and mental health in a weird sort of way. It's a sort of thing that seems to fit with what we see with Irving often troubled persona off the court, and he just really never seems like he's happy despite playing for his third different NBA team. So uh, what would you make of all this, Jay? You know... I got to be honest with you. This Instagram post was something else. I didn't read it a couple times. I know you've read it once. It, it, Kyrie Irving in this post is all over the place, and he's being so indirect in what he's talking about in some respects that it's just hard to wrap my head around it. I will say this, though. Kyrie Irving, this was written in response to 
he didn't travel to Boston Wednesday night with his new team, the Brooklyn Nets. And Celtics fans, they were ready for him. They're trying to give him that nice, that nice welcome back party. Not really. They was they was booing him. No, they was gonna boo him. They had signs all over the city. They got Kemba Walker is greater than Kyrie Irving signs. They got Wizard of Oz lion signs calling Kyrie a coward. It's just, listen, but this is all fan stuff. This is what fans do, and it's almost like Kyrie, in some respects, he don't live within reality. This is the same guy that tried to tell us that the Earth was flat. I mean. I don't know if he was joking or not at the time, but this is something that he did make public. So we got to look at things like this. And this this post up here talking about just how basketball is second to a lot of to a lot of things in life. I agree with Kyrie Irving. Basketball is definitely not the most important thing in the world. But Kyrie Irving is the one out here signing these contracts. Kyrie Irving is the one that signed a four year, one hundred forty million dollar deal to play basketball. And again, and look, this is something we got to really nail down on these players. And for whatever reason, they seem to not get or they don't they want to make it look like they don't understand that basketball on a professional level, it is not just about playing the game. There's other obligations that you have to fulfill. And not only that, there's other extracurricular type stuff you got to deal with. For example, you got to deal with the media post game. You got media obligations where they ask you questions, basketball related questions. Sometimes we got players out here that don't want to answer questions for whatever reason. When they know and it's in their contracts, I'm pretty sure, correct me if I'm wrong, that they have to interact with the media to an extent. And then we look at things that are just they just come with playing a professional game of basketball. You got fans. Kyrie Irving right now plays for the Brooklyn Nets. When he's on the court in his home arena, his, those, those fans out there are going to support him. Just like the fans in Boston last couple of years, they supported Kyrie Irving. And when you look at Kyrie Irving and his career, this is what has happened. Kyrie Irving was drafted by the Cleveland Cavaliers. The Cleveland Cavaliers were not any good. Kyrie was the number one option on a bad team. He could do whatever he wanted to. He could dance on everybody, do his solo act. Then you bring in LeBron James, and to a lesser extent, you bring in Kevin Love. You form that big three, and you win a championship. And we got to take in consideration, Kyrie Irving, if we remember in that game seven, he's the one that clinched that NBA Finals, hit that big three that sealed the deal. So we know as a basketball player, from a talent perspective, and from, a, from, a, from the pure ability to put the ball in the basket, and the guy's handles are unbelievable. He can dance on anybody. Let's just call it what it is. But then, what did we have then? We had the idea that Kyrie didn't want to play second fiddle to LeBron anymore. He didn't want to be Robin. He wanted to be, he wanted to be the superhero. He wanted to be the main guy. He gets himself, or the Cleveland Cavaliers trade him to Boston. What happened in Boston? This is what happened. Kyrie plays in the first season. He ends up getting hurt. And the Boston Celtics, without him, they make a run to the Eastern Conference Finals. What happens in 2018? Kyrie Irving, for the most part, plays the entire season. They reach the playoffs as the fourth seed. They get by the Indiana Pacers. They sweep them, courtesy of an injury to Victor Oladipo. And then what happens in the first, in the Eastern Conference semifinals? They win game one. And then they got, <laughs> they got dispatched from the playoffs real quick, courtesy of the Milwaukee Bucks. So 
you look at that and you just find yourself saying, well, they made the Eastern Conference Finals without Kyrie. I, they, they didn't get as far with Kyrie. So we just wonder what's going on. Because we know Kyrie Irving is the most talented player on, on, that the Boston Celtics have. But when you look at him and you try to incorporate him in a team, as, as part of the team, at this stage, I think it's fair to say that that he 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 can't be the number one guy on the championship team. I don't think when you look at him that as a number one guy, he doesn't do enough from a standpoint of making teammates better. Because that's one of the things we look at when we think of a guy like LeBron James, when we think of guys like Steph Curry. I think even to I think even James Harden, when you look at all the things he does from an offensive standpoint, James Harden scores the ball. But man, he creates a lot, a lot of shots for the guys that play alongside him. You think of the PJ Tuckers of the world. That's one guy that comes to mind. Kyrie Irving, not so much. He just, he seems like a guy that was perfectly well suited to be that second star on the championship team. And that's what he was alongside LeBron James. But he gets out of that situation. He goes to Boston. And that's what Boston Celtic fans were expecting. Hey, look. You wanted to be the number one guy. Here's your chance. And oh, by the way, you had a pretty good young supporting cast that were there to help, that were there to support you. And you didn't get it done. It's Look, you can look at it as fair or unfair, and you can get mad about it. And clearly, with this, Insta, this sweet Instagram post that's got a whole lot of words in there, he's clearly in his feelings about something. And the... The reception that the Boston Celtics fans were giving him, he clearly didn't take too kindly to that. But again, we just said, that's fans. Fans going to do that. And especially when you consider Kyrie Irving, he's missed, when you include today, he's now missed eight straight games with a right shoulder injury. He didn't fly to Cleveland. He didn't travel to Boston. Those are his two former teams. I mean, look, fans are going to use that to it's all a mind game from a fan's perspective. You know it, you guys know it, I know it. You got the free throw line. You got the guys behind the basket waving and just banging all this stuff and yelling and hollering. It's all a mind game, trying to get in your head. We look, we saw Drake in the NBA finals in the playoffs last season. This guy was getting in the this guy was getting in the minds of some of these Milwaukee Buck players. I mean this this is what happened. Because that's that's fans. And you got to understand that. And Kyrie Irving's been around long enough. He, he's got to know the deal. I mean, and I would tell you, I would tell Kyrie, if you don't like all the other extracurricular type things that come with playing basketball, then don't play in the NBA. Go down to the park and just play there since it's all about playing basketball. That's what, all, that's what some of these guys want to tell us when they put it on repeat. Oh, man, I just want to play ball. But you got these shoe contracts, right? You got all these other endorsement deals over here, right? So is it really just about playing basketball? Is it? You got the, you, again, you got this $141 million contract. I mean, if it was just about ball, and I'll be, and I'll be perfectly honest with you. Me and Cody, we used to hoop together a long time ago. And we didn't get paid for it. We didn't get no shoe contracts out of it. Obviously, we didn't, we didn't play to the level of a Kyrie Irving or anybody in the NBA. But we legitimately just loved the game of basketball, and we loved how we played together as a team. 
We share the basketball. And the greatest thing about basketball is to me is to make a play for somebody else. And we just play for the joy of the game. If all you want to do is ball and that's really it, go to the park, Kyrie. So I want to look at it like this. So, Kyrie Irving, I think this is a lesson for these young because we know the NBA is soon going to go away from one and done, and they're going to start letting high school players come in straight from high school again. The reason I bring that up is because Kyrie Irving is a perfect example of what happens when you when you're not prepared for how fast the NBA can move. See, a lot of these players come in, and they think they're prepared for it. They think they're automatically ready for stardom. They, they're ready for everything that comes with being an NBA star. We all want the smoke. And LeBron James should show a lot of a lot of us that it's not easy. You know how many players come in and be named the next Michael Jordan? Oh, this guy's going to be the next Michael Jordan. This guy's going to be the next Magic Johnson. This guy's going to be the next this, that, and the third. And they don't live up to it. And it ain't got, it's not necessarily all talent. Sometimes it's what's in between your ears. Sometimes it's your work ethic. You could be the best player in the world, but if you don't want to work for it, how good is that going to do you? I feel like <clears throat> if I'm a young player in college, or I'm a young player in high school, I should look at this Kyrie Irving story, and I should look at it and be like, either I can be more like LeBron James and make my way through my career, or I could be more like Kyrie Irving and make my way through my career. <clears throat> right now, Kyrie Irving always been number one. He was the number one guy in high school. He was the number one guy in college. He got drafted number one overall without even playing a third of the season when he was at Duke. He's always been the number one guy. He's, he went to the best of the best. He went to Cleveland. As Jay put it, he put up a lot of empty stats. But he put up enough stats where it caught LeBron out. Um, <clears throat> but when he was at Cleveland, he was the man. He was oh, he was a Batman of a cave with nothing cool in it. See, you know, Batman really had a bunch of futuristic vehicles and, you know, talking walls and all this other crap where his Batcave didn't really have anything but your your local uh, equipment you could find at Ashley Furniture. That's what his Batcave had. But then it all changed for him, right? So then LeBron said, hey, Cleveland, I want to come back and I want to win one. So now, at, at that time, Kyrie's thinking, oh, I'm going to get some help. I'm still be able to be the same Kyrie, but now I get a little help. LeBron comes. <laughs> we all know LeBron is a system within himself. So you got to deal with it. Kyrie hit probably the biggest shot of his career because he probably won't hit a shot on at that time on that level again. Not to say he won't ever make it back to the finals again, but who knows what his impact would be in those finals if he gets back again. And then he asked for a trade because he felt like LeBron was calling too many of the shots and LeBron would not commit to playing with the Cavaliers past that his last season. He didn't like it. He said, well, if you're going to treat him like the Batman, then trade me somewhere where I can go be the Batman because I don't want to be stuck here holding the bag. They trade him to Boston. Uh, 
the the Cavaliers um, in that trade. He goes to Boston. The Cavaliers get Isaiah Thomas with one hip, Jay Crowder that forgot how to shoot, and then a couple of other guys that not, not even worth me mentioning. So Kyrie goes to Boston. All right, Kyrie, this is your team. Even though they got Gordon Hayward and free agent, Kyrie was the big guy. Kyrie was the guy that's been on the big stage. This is your team. Kyrie even got, when he got to Boston, what did he say? He even took shots at Cleveland. This lets you know what type of person. We, we should see this coming because this, this told us what type of person Kyrie was. The first thing he said was, oh, it feels good to be in a real sports city. Oh, okay. Cool. Take the shot. Shots taken. All right, cool. So now, you know, everything's a little chummy. You know, everybody, Kyrie, Kyrie, woo. And then the real Kyrie show. Because you know what they tell you. A person going to let you know who they really are, really are at some point. And then we started to see the real Kyrie. Kyrie getting a little moody. Then he gets hurt. Now he on the pinch. Jason Tatum balling. Jalen Brown balling. Al Horford balling. Oh, folks, we one win away from going to the NBA Finals without Kyrie. We don't need him. What we got Kyrie for? Let him go. That sucker just make us worse. Oh, okay. So, you know, here the Then the next season roll around. Now we got a healthy Kyrie, right? Got a healthy going Hayward. Oh, we got Jason Tatum. Are we ready to win? Are we ready to win, Boston? Let's roll. And then winning did not happen according to what they thought. Then Kyrie went back to being Kyrie. He goes to start picking fights with the with the coaching staff and picking fights with the other team. You guys are young. Y'all don't know what it takes to win. Y'all need to follow me. LeBron, I'm sorry. I should have realized this when you was trying to tell me this. I understand what you was going through. I got to rally these guys. First of all, you ain't no mother-loving LeBron. So don't compare yourself to LeBron, sucker. Because you ain't no LeBron. All right. Secondly, how you, you know, I'm not even going down that rabbit hole. Now he's in Brooklyn. He decides, boom, I want to go home. Signs with Brooklyn. Get a deal of a lifetime because he signs with Brooklyn. And then he tells Brooklyn, I could bring you Kevin Durant and DeAndre Jordan if you want. And he gets both, right? Because the owner, the owner of, not the owner, the GM of Brooklyn said he didn't even know KD was coming until he seen it on his Instagram. So, all right, Kyrie, not only do you get to go back home, you get to bring what, what people consider the best player on the planet with you, and then you get to bring another third guy that used to be an all-star, but they can bring you something. So what, what's the problem now? And then we hear about mood swings. Kyrie don't want to take pictures with the team. Kyrie don't want to take his hat off. Kyrie don't. What 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 is this? Ask Kevin Durant. Hey man, uh, what's going on with your boy Kyrie, man? Everything good, Kevin Durant? You know, um, <clears throat> um you know, he, he's a special guy. You know, I love him for what he is. Um, and you know, you it's just something you got to get a good understanding of the player. So what that tells me is he out here cutting up, and no nobody know what's gonna happen next, and you don't want to throw him under the bus. Because you know the only reason you in Brooklyn because of Kyrie. Because had you not listened to Kyrie, you would have been somewhere else away from this head case. But you tried to be a good friend, and now you stuck in the mud. So I get you, KD. I got what you're trying to say. Long story short, I didn't even read that Instagram post. Because I know it's some bull crap. 
Cause Kyrie been telling us this bull crap for the last two years now. He's a he's bitter. He's sad that his career projection did not work out the way he seen it working out when he left Cleveland, and he's upset. He's mad at the game of basketball. Too many cameras. Too many people talking. Social media. Kyrie, son, you're not even thirty yet. How you gonna complain about social media? You're not even thirty. What are you talking about? This is your generation. Don't complain about something you done grew up with all your life. Oh, you don't like it because you're not getting praised. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Because you ain't getting praised. That's the problem. Oh, because you've been praised so much in your life. Now, you're on the other end of the spectrum, and it's bullcrap. Okay, I got you, Kyrie. Man, he just built him. Ain't nobody stunned Kyrie. If you want, If you want people to stop talking... Then win some games. Show us something. Bring us back that, that game seven, Kyrie. Cause right now, you over here looking like a first round sweep. And that ain't what we want. We want the game seven, Kyrie. Yeah, there, I don't have a whole lot to add to it. I mean, y'all going through his career progression. I don't know what he wants, man. And like y'all said, he was, he was the number one guy on a lottery team. Uh, he was second fiddle to a superstar and wound up winning a championship. Then he was a guy. He got another chance on another team. Although, you know, I would argue with the Celtics, that's still kind of Brad Stevens' team. Like they kind of have their little system they run, and I don't think he was going to be able to just show up there and just do whatever the hell he wants. You know, it's not like it's yeah, like I'll just use the Cavaliers. Ty Lue, his his system was hand hand a picture of LeBron James to everybody and say, hey, go go win the game, right? You know, but Brad Stevens has kind of a much more organized way to run things, so. Maybe that didn't work out, and he gets yet another chance. Like you said, he gets another dude that could be considered the best player in the world shows up, and now he's already pulling this again. You know, this started back in October just with the, the Nets themselves. There's already reports of uh, locker room issues and him not wanting to, I think, wear some kind of biometric data, next-level big brain stuff they were talking about. And it just it's this cloud that always follows this dude around, and I guess he just needs a ton of emotional validation all the time. But I go back to what we talked about when we talked about the load management thing. These guys want disproportionate amounts of power. They want disproportionate amounts of money. They want their supermaxes. Like Jay said, they want their shoe contracts. But then they don't always want what comes with it, the responsibility. What they say in Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. That old cliche, well, well that sounds pretty accurate to me. Um, and these guys don't want it. Well, like I said, man, you, you get in this league nowadays and you want all the things that come with it. Yeah, I take the bad. And, and Kyrie doesn't – there's no, like, situation here where Kyrie – it's not poor Kyrie has been put upon – He's just he's frustrated with basketball, and it's he's trying to make it sound like it's not basketball to give himself an out. But I don't know, I ain't buying it. It don't sound like you guys are either. No. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and turn to rivalry week in college football, guys. Lots of great matchups coming up this weekend. Uh, Michigan looks to kick it off against Ohio State and get a win uh, for Harbaugh, who hasn't won a series in that game yet. And they haven't won there since 2011. While Alabama hopes Mac Jones is ready for Auburn and the pressure of the Iron Bowl. Elsewhere, Minnesota and Wisconsin are going to battle for Paul Bunyan's axe and a spot in the Big Ten title game. And Bedlam should be a blast as Oklahoma State will try to put a fork in Oklahoma's playoff hopes. All right, Drink, it's going to be on you, man. Which game matters the most tomorrow? Well, um, it, like you said, it's a couple of games that's going to be on um, some showstoppers. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let Jay, um, he, he mentioned Wisconsin and Minnesota, so I'm going to let him do his thing on that one. I'm going to focus on Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and a game that's, on a big, on a big level, I'm gonna say Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and then on a smaller level, I'm gonna say Colorado versus Utah. And I got reasons for both games. The the first one 
Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. Let's be real. I, I think when Oklahoma play Baylor again, they're going to beat them again. Here's why this game matters. Because either Oklahoma going to go in there as a one-loss team or a two-loss team. And if they go into their game as a two-loss team, the Big 12 is done. Stick up, fork in it, done, sir, done. I like it medium real. Here's the thing, though. When we, we're going to get to the Colorado and Utah, and that game on that level, if you, if Utah lose to Colorado, now the Pac-12 is done. The reason I like those two games is because it only takes one game for your whole conference to have to suffer for that one game. Whereas the other, the other conferences, like, for instance, Alabama lose, the SEC still going to be in. The Ohio State lose, the Big Ten still going to be in. I'm, I'm more like, I'm focused on now the games that affect the whole conference now. Like, you would not have a representative if this happens. And those two games, to me, impact the most because I'm telling you, if Oklahoma somehow beats Oklahoma and, and you know, they're going to try to bounce back and then they're going to go down to Baylor. And I, I still, I honestly, that bull crap after I watched Texas play today, that bull crap they gave us with Baylor, it just, they just ain't cutting it. They, they, they ain't cutting it because I just watched Texas play today. And you're going to tell me a team deserve to go five spots with being that team I watched play today and struggle with Texas Tech? The best thing about Texas Tech is their uniform. And not even the whole uniform. Just a little cool little T inside of the T little symbol on the shoulder. That's all. That's it. The re- the rest of Texas Tech, they ain't look. I'm. This is ridiculous. The Big Twelve conference is being ridiculous this year. The committee is being ridiculous, and I wouldn't even admit the uh, ran on the conference. It just came up the way it came up. But here's the deal: Oklahoma, Oklahoma State on the big level, Colorado and Utah on the small level. And remember. You know, I hope my boys go down there, you know, saying road tie, the, the baddest, the baddest, you know, robbery it is in college football, you know, Alabama and Auburn. So, you know, I just, my boys going to go down there road tie, hopefully. We're going to finish the season strong. I still stand packed to my playoff prediction. I ain't bagging up off of that. I just want my boys to finish the season strong, nonetheless. Mm. Uh, yeah, Wisconsin, Minnesota, that's the biggest game of the week. To me, because that game will determine who goes to the Big Ten championship game to play Ohio State. And if Minnesota beats Wisconsin, then things get very interesting should they find a way to beat Ohio State. That's a situation that I don't think the committee wants to get into because if Ohio State knocks off Michigan tomorrow and then Minnesota beats Wisconsin-Ohio State, then what you're going to have, I believe you're going to have two 12-1 teams from Ohio State. You're going to have Ohio State, who has been up there all season, just rolling people all year. And you're going to have Minnesota, the conference champion, who has one loss to what the committee is telling us. is still a pretty good Iowa team that comes in at 17th lately and just beat up on who they beat. Uh, Nebraska today, well, they beat them by, what, a field goal? Yeah. So Iowa, they're not going to drop in the rankings. So, I mean, you're going to have two very compelling cases. You're also going to have LSU in there, assuming they don't all of a sudden just collapse to A&M and Georgia. Clemson, they got South Carolina, and oh, my gosh, they have Virginia coming up. What in the world is going on with us? Uh, So it's just going to be interesting 
if Minnesota wins the Big Ten somehow, it's going to get crowded in this playoff scenario, and we got we got a doozy. I think we're going to get into here shortly. But Minnesota and Wisconsin, due to the fact that it actually the win, it's a winner take all situation in half in one half of the Big Ten. That's why I think it's the most significant. But Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, that's a big one. That's a big one for Oklahoma because if they can win that game, that's a ranked win for them. Then you pair that with the win they've already got against Baylor. They beat Baylor again in the Big 12 title game. They got three, I mean, I don't know if they're marquee wins, but they're quality wins. I think the committee's going to look at them as quality wins. And oh, I was going to say, oh, they definitely going to be quality wins because they said Baylor, that's why they go. And Oklahoma State, that's their quality win. So, yeah. yeah. Right. Don't forget, And don't forget, I mean, Iowa State, they're in the rankings right now. That's another team that Oklahoma beat. So, and then, I mean, they, they beat Texas too. So, <laughs> uh, one game we ain't talked about at all is Ohio State, Michigan. That, that game, that game is not, I don't think that game is all that important, uh, in the, in the playoff talk because Ohio State, even if they lose to Michigan, they can still get in the playoff by winning the Big Ten. They've been that impressive this season. Michigan is just a pride thing. It's just a Jim Harbaugh thing. Could you please, the fan base of Michigan is like, could you please win one game against Ohio State? Just one. That's all. Listen, the whole Michigan fan base will leave Jim Harbaugh alone. for a couple, They could leave him alone for a couple years if he just beat Ohio State tomorrow. That's where we're at. And I'm a little surprised you beat up Colorado and Utah, although I do I do agree with you. It's significant because if Utah does lose that game, the Pac-12 is just dead in the water. They need Utah to win out to have to, – to, to give their conference a chance to have a representative in the playoff. But, yeah, when it's all said and done, just for tomorrow in rivalry, Wisconsin-Minnesota, that's the one we need to pay attention to. Yeah, I'd agree. Wisconsin-Minnesota is the biggest game in terms of playoff implications. Um, 100% agree. You broke it all down. Uh, I would say Oklahoma State uh, has a good chance to beat Oklahoma. I, I think that uh, – I just want to say his name because it's really cool. My man Chubba Hubbard. With 1,832 rushing yards coming into the game, man could break 2,000 yards before his bowl game. And uh, Oklahoma State may just run all over him. And uh, I don't know if Oklahoma's defense can really stop that all that much. So that'd be a game to watch. But, hey, if Oklahoma does win it, you're right. They got another quality win, and they'll be looking pretty good going to get play at Baylor. And uh, like I said last uh, last Wednesday with uh, Alabama, man, I, I won't say it again because it, it irritates drink a little bit. But uh, if they go in there and they prove we can do it with Matt Jones, if we can beat a team that has quality, you know, or has played other teams for reference, Alabama is going to have at least an argument when the smoke starts settling a little bit. So I think that's a game you really got to watch. And um, – I'm telling you, don't count these guys out yet. But let's talk about let's talk about some nonsense, really, guys. We could have a scenario where we have a situation where literally we have about seven to eight teams that could possibly be vying for a four playoff spot. So I mentioned it last week. I said, hey, you know, if you're looking for that eight team playoff, here's your thing. So here's how it works. This is a this is a possible outcome of the next two weeks, guys. We're going to assume that. Um, all the guys in the top ten are going to win their rivalry week games, as you would expect. So we're talking, you know, Oklahoma beats Oklahoma State, you know, Utah beats their guys, Alabama wins, et cetera, right? Uh, and so you don't assume that Minnesota gets into the Big Ten championship. Uh, we're going to then have LSU lose to Georgia. 
We're going to have Ohio State lose to Minnesota, and we're going to have Utah beat Oregon. Uh, Clemson is obviously going to win their game. So you're going to have a 13-0 Clemson, a 12-1 Ohio State, not a conference champion, a 12-1 LSU, not a conference champion, a 12-1 conference champion Georgia, a 12-1 conference champion Minnesota, a 12-1 conference champion Utah, Alabama hanging out at 12-1, and then the winner of Baylor and Oklahoma as a potential 12-1 Big 12 champion. That is a real scenario, and it's not that hard to imagine happening. I mean, most of the rivalry week games would go as those teams being the favorites anyway, and then the, the conference championships would just need a little bit of chaos. So if that were to happen, and we had all those teams I just listed with 12-1 and 1 or you know 13-0 in Clemson's case, who's your four? I mean, how, how does the committee even begin to dig out of that and make it not just be a disaster no matter who they pick? So I will say with Clemson in – they undefeated. You don't leave an undefeated team out. The SEC, they're going to get one, if not two, still under this scenario. So let's say for this instance, they're going to say the SEC champion, because that's the one that they can market the most is the SEC champion, right? So that's Georgia. So you got them in. Um, we're saying Minnesota is the Big Ten champion in this scenario. Yep. So Minnesota is in, because I'm sorry, but – I'm telling you right now, this committee is not as much trash as they talked about with the SEC and the Big Ten this year. Is no way, I don't care if they played nothing but Frosted the Snowman on a Sunday day, is no way that they're going to leave out the Big Ten champion. And I'm going to tell you why. Because in order to be the Big Ten champion, you had to beat some teams, whether we like it or not. If you go and beat Ohio State on the biggest stage, you're going to get credit for that. They beat Penn State. They got credit for that. They, if they get that, I mean, they will have to beat Wisconsin. They're going to get credit for that. They're going to be in there because the, the committee is going to have to say, dang, well, this team played these teams on a high level, whatever. So that's three of my four teams, the Big Ten champion, the SEC champion, and the Clemson. Now, the question we all got, that fourth team, how do you leave LSU out? Can't leave LSU out. They've been doing their thing all year. You can't leave LSU out. Alabama, in this scenario, I'm sorry. I love you boys, but y'all got to go. Um, Utah, all right? How do we value the one loss factor? I think, to be honest with you, to be perfectly honest with you, when you get past the first three, it is going to be all about who they lost to, when they lost to them. The, re the only reason I say Alabama would be out of that conversation is because the other some of these other teams will have a championship that dangle. So when they dangle in that championship, the, the committed chairman then already said that is the 13th data point that they use. So that means it will get brought up. The minute you start bringing that up, I'm sorry, I just don't know the argument you're going to give for Alabama when you got three possibly – three other division champs trying to get into this last spot. You, you know what I'm saying? Well, conference champs, I should right. say. So, um, with that said, I would I – would, In your scenario, you have Ohio State and LSU wanting one spot. That's not counting the other two conference champions in Utah and Baylor, Oklahoma. Well, yeah, so that's what I'm saying. So, Clemson, ACC, that's one. Big Ten, that's one. Uh, and the SEC, that's three. Yep. Um. It just it's very hard to say no to LSU. I mean, I got it. People want to say bounce them on their defense, but at that point, you say 
Well, if I put LSU against Bama, what happened? We've seen that. They won. If I put LSU against Utah, I got, on a neutral field, I'm taking LSU. If I put LSU against uh, Oklahoma on a neutral field, I think I got to go LSU. So, for me, my four would probably be well, Clemson. Let well, me put it up there. Ohio State is the other team. That's the last team you haven't talked about. Is it, This is LSU or Ohio State. You were talking similar teams, similar records. That's, this is – Hey, now, you know, <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. To be, to be honest with you, you know what I do at that point? I'm going to have to go with how both teams perform in a championship game. Fair enough. I'm going to have to use that as a, a point because the regular season, they didn't blown through the regular season. So what you going to say? Like, you, you, I understand the dominant question, that, I mean, the dominant statement that people like to use now. In the last poll, that ain't going to work. That ain't going to fly. People ain't going to want to hear that bull crap. Oh, that was the most dominant. Uh, whatever. I, now I'm gonna need to see something tangible. Like, what what are we talking about here? And honestly, the, those championship games will matter. Did this team show up? Did they just go out there and lay an egg because they thought they was already in? Did you know injuries? Did an injury happen? Did, you know whatever the case might be. So, for this sake of the argument, I'm gonna say Clemson, Big Ten champion, SEC champion, which is Georgia, and I'm gonna go with. LSU as my number four over Ohio State. And that, that would mean you'd have Minnesota in, right, as a Big Ten title champion? Minnesota be in because of virtue of being a Big Ten, one lost Big Ten champion, yes. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you guys, I thought I had this all sorted out, and I'm going to tell you, I, I really don't have this sorted out now that we're actually discussing it. <laughs> uh, you, you guys mentioned the easy one is the ACC, assuming Clemson beats South Carolina and Virginia. I don't know. It's, it just, it's weird bringing these guys up again, but um, congratulations. Uh, but yeah, Clemson, go ahead and slide in, in mostly due to the fact that the weakness of the ACC, an undefeated Power Five conference champion. There's no way they get left out. So then, what you would have, and we got to look at the Big Ten and the SEC because both of those conferences would have two teams that I think would be more deserving and better than Utah and Oklahoma or Baylor, depending on who comes out of the Big Twelve. So it's four teams for three slots, and then you bring in conference championships, and not only do you have a conference championship, you have a head-to-head win. You assume that we have Georgia beating LSU and Minnesota being Ohio State. So with that being said, and at first I would have told you is, nah, Minnesota, sorry, I'd have to leave you out. But then the conference championship combined with the head-to-head win is a very convincing case, especially when you look at Minnesota especially, they don't have a bad loss. We talk, we've talked about this before. There's once a year where some high-ranked top 10 team, or at least in the top 25, they roll up into Iowa, and they get that Iowa smoke. They can't handle it for whatever reason. That was Minnesota this year. So Minnesota, we look at some of the things they've done this year. They beat Penn State. We assume in this scenario they beat Wisconsin, and they beat Ohio State. Ooh, those three good wins. Three good wins and not a bad not a bad loss to speak of. You played Iowa competitive on the road. And we look at Georgia. Georgia out of these four teams would have the worst loss. They lost South Carolina. We can't ignore that. But you beat LSU, there's one. Then you get credit for a non-conference victory against Notre Dame. You also beat, who was it, Florida and Auburn? Florida and Auburn are the other two uh, quality wins. 
And then you again you beat LSU who right now is number two. Some would argue number one. Man, that's hard to leave them guys out, especially winning the best conference. And then so that's yeah, so that's two of the other three spots. So you got Clemson, Minnesota, and Georgia. And boy, oh boy, I would not want to be deciding this one. Ohio State, LSU for the final spot. These are two teams that have been one two in the polls the whole way. Ohio State, we look at them, I think they're the best team in the country. I look at them on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. I don't think there's a team in the country that does it well enough as they do on both sides. I think they're the most balanced and most complete team. And plus they get, plus they got quality wins assuming they take care of Michigan. So they would have a they would have a good resume. You got you can't forget about Cincinnati. Cincinnati's a team that's in the top twenty five. I don't know how they finished against Memphis today, but that could come into play as well. They took the L. Okay. Well that that could in this scenario that might end up hurting them. But you got Penn State and you got Michigan and Wisconsin. So you got some good wins out of the Big Ten there. But LSU and you got and you got the fact and the belief from the eye test, I think Ohio State is better than LSU. But then LSU, they got the resume, as we've discussed all season. Whether you give it to them or not, Texas was a top-10 team at the time. And then we look at in-conference. You took care of Auburn, you took care of Florida, and you took care of Alabama on the road at Alabama. Well, 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 well what I was going to say was, to that fact, if I thought when they played Auburn, they played Auburn in, at home, too, like in um, – I can't think of the doggone stadium, but in Auburn's home, I thought they'd be Auburn in Auburn. Yeah, and, and either way, either way, they got wins against those teams, and your one loss would be against Georgia in their house. Right. So, well, it's in Atlanta. It's not a neutral. It's a neutral site game, but ge- geographically, Georgia would be closer than LSU would be. Yeah, but it's about two hours away. It's Athens, as or Atlanta. Okay, so, Athens. Yeah, LSU, Ohio State. Uh, the committee ain't no, the committee. If they listen, if they was listening to this right now, they like, please no, we don't want to do this one. Ohio State and and LSU for the final spot. And I get the I get the fact that a conference champion is going to be hard to leave them guys out. But man, I'm gonna tell you, it's gonna be it would be hard for me to ignore all the work LSU and Ohio State did in the regular season and just use that final game as the measuring stick and the end-all, be-all. I still think both of those teams are well-deserving and good enough to to be in the playoffs. Yeah, and, 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 and you know, what you're saying, let's, let's be here. The Big, the big 12, the Pac-12, that's over with, that's done, Bama, that's scenario, done. Yes. Yeah, in that scenario, it's either Ohio State or LSU. Um, like you said, both teams will be deserving. One of them won't get it, and then every team behind them, you could just hang it up. It would really, do, it would really kind of like expose what we all kind of think right now, which is that the Big Ten and the SEC are, are decently ahead of the other conferences. I mean, if that kind of comes up, you know, I thought it was interesting. Both you guys kind of immediately said, "Hey, uh, Utah, Baylor, forget it. Just don't. We're not even. There ain't no room." at the hotel, go away, you know, um, I thought that was really interesting, and, you know, as far as, yeah, I guess I, if I pose the scenario, I got to probably answer my own question, you know, and I, I do agree, Clemson, 13-0 defending national champions, they got to be in, um, I, I don't think you can leave Minnesota out, 
Uh, Georgia, if, it was, if I was just, if I ruled the world, I'd probably keep them out and say, hey, y'all did great. Just lost South Carolina. I don't go away. But I, I know that's not fair. I know they're the SEC champion. They're just they, as far as impre- impressiveness goes, they're not nearly as impressive as LSU or Ohio State. Ohio State has about what Georgia has on defense, but they actually have an offense, you know, besides you know ten of twenty eight or whatever Jake Fromm does every week. But uh, I think, my gosh, you come down to Ohio State and LSU, man. I think Ohio State might get it just because they the committee seems to like them a little more, and they would have been number one. When they lost, and LSU would have been number two when they lost, so maybe the committee would look at that. But I think this honestly would probably trigger a lot of uh, playoff talk, expand, expansion talk, uh, way ahead of when they want to do it. I know they got a couple more years on these contracts with the Bulls, and they want to run this longer. But you know those dudes would be in there sweating, and there would be no good answer. There would be two, three teams that would be left out. Uh, and you know those other conferences would start raising all sorts of nonsense because they'd have a case, you know. Hey, twelve and one as their champion. What else do you want them to do? You know, and they're not even getting consideration in this scenario. But even if this doesn't happen, which is again very unlikely, there are still pieces of this that could happen. So we're gonna have a lot to watch for going into uh, not only rivalry weekend, but really into conference championship weekends when it's gonna get really interesting. Yeah, one and one thing you said about Georgia, you would leave them out if they was to win the SEC title game because you don't find them as impressive as LSU and Ohio State. And I get where you're coming from right now. But you got to think, if they beat LSU, you can't tell me they're not as impressive as LSU because they just gave them the business in the SEC championship game. And that's a double-edged sword. That's a double-edged sword because you got a conference title and a head-to-head. That's a double whammy right there. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you one thing. If, if, that, if, that, if those things happen and we got a Big Ten and SEC fight for three spots for four teams, Hey, Virginia, hey, Bronco, do us a favor. Beat Clemson so we ain't got to worry about it. Put the Big Ten in the SEC in the playoff. That'd be the only only saving grace. Look, Clemson got the most pressure. Like, I know they they can't lose. They got the most pressure of all these teams, I think. Because, I mean, in the top four, they got the most pressure of all four teams. They can't lose. Sure can't. All right, guys, time to finish it off with some rapid reaction. A lot of topics in a little bit of time. Start with you, Drink. All righty, all right. Patriots kicker Nick Foles will miss, will miss Sunday's night game against the Texans, which means the defending champs will be using their fourth kick, one, two, three, fourth kicker of the season. What's your thoughts on that? My thoughts are the things we can count on with the New England Patriots are Bill Belichick, Tom Brady, and Steven Guskowski. And they're on their fourth kicker now. What was a huge strength coming in is now a real weakness. Cardinals cornerback Josh Shaw has been suspended at least th- throughout the 2020 season for betting on games. Tell me something, drink. Well, it's almost Christmas time, man. Eh? The man don't see much playing time. He said, hey, let me give me a few extra bucks, you know, and uh, try to, you know, give my kids what they want. Look, I don't know who's – I don't know what he thought he was doing. I don't know how he thought he was going to get away with it. But this is nonsense. Do somebody tell him who Pete Rose is. Somebody please tell him. That, like this is ridiculous. I don't know what he was thinking, but I'ma say it was Christmas. He just needed a little extra Christmas money. Defending NCAA champs, Virginia will be without Braxton Key for the foreseeable future due to a wrist injury. Is that a big deal? Yes, Virginia struggles to score the basketball so far this season. Braxton Key's their second leading scorer. So that problem's only going to get worse, even though they defend better than anybody in the country. 
Lakers forward Anthony Davis dropped 41 points against the Pelicans, the most ever by an NBA player in a first meeting with a former team. You impressed? Uh, I'm impressed because he got hurt and came back, but it's the Pelicans. I'm not impressed on the team he dropped the 41. Dropping 41 is somewhat of a deal, but the fact that he got hurt, came back, finished the game, and they needed every one of his 41 points and the defensive play that he made at the end of the game. So, yes, I am impressed. Georgia wide receiver Lawrence Cager suffered an ankle injury in Wednesday's practice and could miss several weeks. Big deal? Yes, Cody just made the Jake Fromm joke. We know how Georgia has struggled lately to throw the football, and those struggles are probably only, only going to intensify because Cager's been their best receiver. The Eagles have extended right tackle Lane Johnson four more years, and his new deal will make him the highest paid player at his position. Is that well-deserved? Absolutely. And when Lane Johnson coming down, he's a difference maker, man. Look, when he don't play, you know he's not there. When he play, you know he's there. So that on that principle alone, oh, yeah, most definitely well-deserved. The World Series champion Washington Nationals have have resigned their catcher, Jan Gomez, to a two-year, $10 million deal. Big deal, little deal, no deal. It's a little deal because it keeps the stability at the catching position for the Nationals. They'll have Gomes and Kurt Suzuki back. So stability for their offense at the catching position and stability for that pitching staff. A celebration penalty and a missed extra point cost Ole Miss a chance to win the Egg Bowl. What's up with that? Down, down south, the other SEC teams, right, we got a, a saying for Ole Miss. We call them Old Piss. So I, it seems as if he just tried to live up to the saying in person. And, I mean, honestly, this is a depiction of the team this year. Oh, you almost had it. You was almost there. And then you do a dumb celebration like that and lose the Egg Bowl. Ridiculous for a robber. Just ridiculous. The Atlanta Falcons recovered two onside kicks yesterday against the New Orleans Saints. Although they still fell three and nine, did they special teams succeed to you? Did that impress you? No, because they were down 26 to nine, which means they had to throw the Hail Marys of onside kicks. No, I'm not impressed. Tomorrow night in Las Vegas at the Cosmopolitan Hotel and Casino on ESPN Plus, it's a WBC Junior Lightweight Eliminator main event between former featherweight champion and undefeated rising star Oscar Valdez versus former world title challenger Andres Gutierrez. Who you got in this one? Yeah, this is Valdez. I don't even know this other guy. Valdez is going to come in there, use that sparring practice, and, you know, get him on out of there. All right. That concludes today's Drink of Wisdom. I'm Cody Ward. I'm Jay Wise. And I'm Nathan Drinker. And remember, make tomorrow better than today. Make today better than yesterday. And we're going to holler at you till next time. <laughs>